Welcome to Women in Academia podcast with Irena, where I will interview female researchers to understand the challenges that women in academia are facing today. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Today on the show, it's my pleasure to have Jenny Zeng. Jenny is my colleague from Marx Institute, and Jenny is doing super cool research on processing of a speech rhythm and music rhythm in babies using the EEG. Hello, Jenny. Thank you for being my guest today. How are you? Um, I'm pretty good. Thanks for the lovely introduction, Arena. Uh, a little bit about myself. My name is Jenny Zeng. And I'm a PhD student in the language and speech stream in the Max Institute for Brain Behavior and Development. Um, I'm trying to continue to collect data for my study once the COVID pan- pandemic ends in Australia. I'm also a freelance Mandarin interpreter. I help Mandarin speaking people who cannot function in English in public service um, public services, such as in courts and in hospitals. That's so nice, Jenny. <laughs> Thank you for introduction. Can you tell me more about your background and what brought you to the research? I finished my undergraduate study in China and I came to Australia. And initially I did a coursework course of Master of Integrity. And then after that, I have been, I have been working as a interpreter in many in courts and hospitals. I have been a second language learner of English since the year 2002, and I have been working in the translation and interpreting industry since 2012. And just so many years of language experience has been constantly providing me with research questions and ideas. And then I thought to myself, why not turn those ideas and sometimes it's epiphanies into knowledge to share with others? So that's why I applied for Master of Research with Western Sydney University. Thank you, Jenny. I love that. So you, from your personal experience on learning second language, you decided to go into the research on language. Can you tell me what are the biggest challenges you have faced and obstacles you have to overcome on your journey? And if you had to start over, would you change something and what would that be? So there were two main challenges I had. Um, in the process of um, doing research. At the very beginning, there was this challenge of source of funding mm-hmm. because starting off as a master's research student, I did not really have um, scholarship. So I worked in a convenience store and had to do evening shifts to, fi- to finance myself. Um, and later on, um, it was getting much better. And also the second challenge was that Um, Doing research is actually a huge shift from my previous path. Before research, I had always been um, a professional practitioner. And I I did my undergraduate study in English literature and culture. So I did not really have much knowledge about um, the research methodology, like the psychology um, discipline, nor was I familiar with the statistical analysis but I learned everything along the way. I hadn't known if I was doing good enough as a research student until I actually finished the whole master's project. And then for my PhD, and I also picked up EEG analysis and some sort of um, experimental coding from scratch. If I have to start over, I would firstly 
and think, plan it better and try to get a job maybe as a research assistant while doing my master's. That way I could learn more about research or like related research fields and also found my life at the same time. Well done, Jenny. I think it was probably very challenging to do the master of research, learn new methodology and in the same time to work. Yeah, it was pretty challenging, but it was also very rewarding and ensured myself that, yeah, I can, I overcome so many difficulties, mm-hmm. then there is no reason that I give up on this. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more? Uh, so every woman has different commitments and schedules in and out of the office. How do you manage your work-life balance? So I found that it is already very challenging doing experimental research without any family commitments. Like I highly admire those who would conduct research with also family and other work commitments. Um, in terms of work or life balance, I believe that the research workloads um, and the due dates have naturally disciplined all of us. <laughs> And however, I constantly get into problem solving and I was sometimes in uh, surviving mode and feel that I was isolated. I guess it's a matter of adding some social activities and fun to Mm -hmm. the busy schedule as well and get friends outside of academia to understand our lifestyle and keep them on loop for ongoing emotional support. (laughs) For example, just in the COVID pandemic, it would be really lovely to have someone who understand what sort of challenges we're facing. Mm -hmm. I agree that that's important to have activities outside of academia. Mm -hmm. They will give you more energy later to do your work in office. Yeah, I feel that um, that's a good way to to keep the passion for ongoing research as well. So you feel that you'll always have a, 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 the drive and mm-hmm. the support to, to keep everything going. Mm-hmm. I think I heard before from you that you also have time for a gym and yeah, exercise. Yeah, so I found that the PhD student life sometimes involves just sitting on the, uh, in front of a desk all day and doing, um, especially at the very beginning, we have to conduct um, reading um, extensively. So we sometimes forget about time and then over the, over the months or years, then we develop some sort of <laughs> back and neck problems. I thought mm-hmm. gym would be really nice to fit in our busy life schedule so that we actually feeling um, physically and mentally healthy to keep our research going. I agree with you. Like even you can always find one hour in a day for a dream or even just to go for a walk. And yeah, that can yeah, help. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, reading, writing and everything. Yeah. Can you tell me more about your research? My master project initially looked into the linguistic and cognitive aspects of people um, who speak more than one language versus people who only speak one language. And I remember I recruited children, young adults, and older adults of both language background. Mm -hmm. And my data suggests that 
the bilingualism or multilingualism is a double-edged sword. On the linguistic expression side, people who speak more than one language tend, um, will have to split their effort in using their languages. So on one of their languages, they may not be as good as people who use 100% of the time and effort in the sole language. Mm-hmm. However, on the cognitive side, because they are constantly, the bilingual people are constantly managing more than one language, they do show some level of advantage. At least um, it's quite visible in childhood and older adulthood. And then after this, I thought, oh, um, it's actually um, great that I found all this. And um, it actually solved my um, question that I had um, over the years about bilingualism. So I thought it's great to continue And so I did my PhD, Uh, I started my PhD, and my current PhD project focused on a different topic, that is English speech rhythm perception in babies and adults who have differing native languages. This is inspired by the fact that we're actually living in a linguistically diversified world with people speaking a wide range of native languages. For example, in Australia, even English is the official language. The interpreting services in Australia, for example, provides interpreting between English and 200 other languages. And past the research has shown that people segment or group information even largely depending on the rhythmic pattern of the native languages. So I thought, well, this sort of speech rhythm actually would determine so many things and the subtle things in among people. So I thought it was quite useful to understand, at least from the sciencey point of view, the perspective of neuropsychology, that the linguistic features or potential challenges for the people whose native language is not English or for or who are not confident in use in using English in courts and hospitals in our society, for example. And I thought this topic could also be of interest for um, everyday people who wish to pick up another language mm-hmm. or second language learners who are struggling. And most importantly, this um, study could just help us understand better the perceptual pattern for other language speakers so that for example um, if a child is having speech difficulty and they speak another native language other than English we know when and why speech and pathology interference could step in or not. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Do you have any results so far from your PhD or Um, So because of the um, COVID pandemic, I did not really have enough data to form a proper story. I did finish collecting data for one of the language group, um, the babies and adults whose native language is Mandarin. Um, However, I did not have enough data for the English learning group, the baby and the the babies who learn, learn English. Um, so 
it is hopeful that once the result is out, I would be able to share with the public mm-hmm. what I found. So for these Mandarin speakers, you conducted that research in Australia or did you need to travel somewhere for that? Um, so thanks to the founding of Australian Linguistic Society, I was able to um, travel to National University of Taiwan and then I recruit a cohort of Mandarin speaking babies there and I stayed in there for about two months and it was a really wonderful experience as initially I encountered difficulties with equipment set up and I thought oh my god I would not be able to finish data collection at all (laughs) but um, they have such great support on Um, with me and they provided me with extra personnel so I had one research assistant dedicated to my study Mm -hmm. and I ended up um, being able to test 20 babies in in one week wow (laughs) (laughs) that was full on I just like see moms and babies come and go and come and go and although not every week so it's only one week that I tested 20 babies that's EEG right that's EEG as well (laughs) (laughs) well done yeah because like it takes time how long is your experiment um so my experiment for babies is only half an hour but because um we also need sometimes the parents would want to wash the baby's head before they leave Mm -hmm. so um they also have facilities for that so in general they have they come um they visit for about one hour Mm -hmm. yeah like 20 babies in one week (laughs) is very hard even like if you have a five minutes long experiment but especially for eeg and it's challenging to do eeg with babies especially half an hour like for adults that's not so long but for babies that's like extremely long you're right (laughs) yeah yeah so well done (laughs) yeah I remember that I took turns with the research assistant in entertaining the baby silently (laughs) in the room so when the baby is feeling bored of the repetitive sound stimuli I had to use the toy and then just wave in front of them and then and also even to keep the mom um, entertained as well mm-hmm. <laughs> because she was she would be like holding the baby constantly and feeling tired just <laughs> restraining the baby from pulling the cords sometimes so if the baby's attention is diverted then the mom doesn't have to <laughs> constrain the baby mm-hmm. all the time yeah it Can was um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> it was quite a rewarding experience having to deal with um that many babies in a week yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) have you tried blowing bubbles to the babies during eeg yeah um, i actually found um um, it is quite funny that babies actually love bubbles Mm -hmm. and they also love different types of toys what i learned from the intensive testing was that we even developed a strategy for how to keep the baby's attention so basically basically what we did was we have um, more than five different types of toys Mm -hmm. and we'll use each of the toys for about five to 10 minutes until the baby gets bored and we change into a different type of toys. And then, and we just take 
we just go from one to another toy and to another toy. And in this way, every time the baby only has has to focus on the toy for about five minutes. But in the end, we were able to get 30 minutes of full attention from the baby <laughs> easily. So it was great that we had this strategy. And because of that intensive testing. Mm-hmm. It's good strategy for EG. Mm-hmm. As I want to go back to your master's research, uh, because you mentioned that you did research on bilingualism and that you found some cognitive advantages. So many parents are asking, um, should I teach my child two languages from the birth? And they are worried that uh, maybe there will be some delay in language. So uh, practically your research is showing that actually bilingualism has some cognitive advantages. So would you recommend that that's a good thing for parents if they have like two languages at home to use them? I would say if um, within the family, if you have um, different family members uh, whose native languages um, are different, mm-hmm. it is definitely great that you can give different language inputs to your babies. And so all those inputs are quality input and they're from native speakers of that language. And however, I also understand that it would be quite challenging if you were to teach a baby a a Mm -hmm. foreign language that you don't speak. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it it would actually take more time in that way and also more effort. And because a lot of the bilinguals I've tested, they were actually natural bilinguals, Mm -hmm. which means that they get one one language from their mom and get another language from the society. Uh, whereas for babies, whereas for parents who wanted their children to learn a second language, it's always recommended. It's it it has and um, it's got other benefits, as in learning a language always activates your brain mm-hmm. and give you an experience of learning and also fun and open up your open up your horizons to to the outside world. Um, so that um, it, it's always great to, to have like that sort of experience. Thank you for that. But yeah, that's important distinction, whether you want to learn your child foreign language. And if you have already speakers of different language at home, for example, mom is speaker of one language, a father is speaker of another language. So they, they should use that opportunity and don't be afraid to teach your child yeah. languages. Yeah, you're right. So if you do have the the resource of the family members, definitely use it. It would not bring um, it would not slow down your lang- your child's language development. Whereas if it's too much of a struggle for you to teach a foreign language to your babies, and you don't have to worry about that one either. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Can you tell me what are your hopes for your future research? I believe that language is a powerful tool and it is of interest to everyone. And I hope that my future research, uh, my future study can continue to inform the society about bilingualism, multiculturalism, and just language acquisition in general from a science point of view, rather than to give a subjective opinion. Mm-hmm. I love yeah, that your research has that practical aspect. So it's not only doing uh, research for the sake of research, but yeah, it has practical implications that are very important, especially in today's world when 
we are all connected. Yeah. Can you tell me what are the top issues you see women in academia face today? I guess, because um, we talked about this before, um, it would be really tricky to navigate across multiple aspects of life, like academia, the family, the social life, and other work commitments. As the academia alone is a quite competitive field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, what is the one piece of advice you would give to a young woman or girl thinking about academia or to women just starting out in academia? I would say that don't be afraid of the challenges and don't um, think about like what, like if you have done wrong, you just believe yourself and do your best. Also try to fund yourself in a smart way if you have to. And over the years, I would say, protect your own curiosity to the world and then keep a thirst for inquiry in life. That's also like a good quality for researchers. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's very good advice. And yeah, especially from the person like you that uh, have overcome many many challenges in her research journey. I think it's very important and good advice. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for having me, Irina. Thank you so much for sharing your story today with us. Jenny, I wish you uh, good luck uh, with your research. I hope this COVID-19 situation will end soon and you can finish collecting your data. And I'm looking forward to uh, hear about um, your research results and your future research. Thank you so much. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening.